Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is that many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tightknit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com Hey everyone, welcome to Talk Easy, a weekly podcast of intimate interviews with the people shaping our culture today. I'm Sam Fragoso, thank you for tuning in. This week on the show, we have the one and only wonderful actress, Melanie Linsky. Linsky's career on the screen started at the age of 16 in Peter Jackson's Oscar-nominated film, Heavenly Creatures. It was a hell of a debut, and one that modestly but effectively laid the path for the rest of her career. Born in New Plymouth, New Zealand, it was only a matter of time before Melanie left home. She was L.A. bound, ready to pursue her passion. Through the late 90s and early 2000s, it wasn't exactly smooth sailing, though. She picked up bit parts in films like But I'm a Cheerleader in Sweet Home, Alabama. But then a break came. She got cast as the delightful but slightly unhinged neighbor of Charlie Harper, played by Charlie Sheen, in Two and a Half Men. Whatever you may think of that show, and that's something we get into in the conversation, it's hard to deny how much it helped Linsky's career. From there, bit parts turned into substantial supporting parts in movies like Shattered Glass, Flags of Our Father, Up in the Air, The Informant, and so many more. Point is, Melanie has had an interesting career, and an even more interesting life. What follows is precisely the type of conversation that got me into this podcast in the first place. At the end, when we turned off the mic, she turned to me and said, Sorry, I know I'm a bit of an oversharer. <laughs> I laughed thinking about that now, and I laughed then. So I said to her, well, you're on the right show for that. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling, I know. I love this episode, and I hope you enjoy it too. 
But first, we start with the impetus for having Melanie on now, which, unfortunately, is the cancellation of the excellent HBO series Togetherness and the inexplicable continuation of the show Ballers. So, finally, here is Melanie Linsky. I was like leaving San Francisco. I was I was in the midst of moving, mm-hmm. and I got just like an update on my phone saying uh, "Togetherness is canceled, <laughs> Ballers renewed." <laughs> Sorry, it's a funny, funny combination sentence. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I got that, and I was like, "Oh my god, what world are we living in, where Togetherness, like arguably." top five television shows on when it was on and ballers which you know i'll badmouth ballers you know i won't i won't put you in that position okay i think that show is a bit reprehensible and it it, it, like it broke my heart to see that that show was canceled so i thought oh that's that's what i want to start talking about first okay i have not seen that much of ballers so i can't talk that much about it um but The Rock is on it. Yeah, yeah. He's No, he's nice. He's, he's like a, a huge movie star, and he's very charismatic, and yeah. he's a good actor. Okay. So I understand. I mean, at the end of the day, it's they're running a business, and not enough people were watching togetherness. But is that what it was? Yeah. It just came down to numbers. I mean, we were. I think we were literally the cheapest show that they had. <laughs> they were not... <laughs> Spending a ton That's of money. That's what I thought. That's what I thought because yeah. Mark and Jay always make films like on a shoestring budget. Shoestring, yeah. And so I guess like what was the financial risk there? I think they had spent a lot of money on other projects. This is just what I've heard from people. And there was a big reshuffling of the management there and people were losing their jobs. And I think they just kind of wanted to start over. But – um. It it was a real disappointment. I was really sad about it. Is was was that the thing? Uh, I guess is, we're jumping ahead, but in making that, were you like, "This is some of the best work you've done"? Oh, I felt beyond fortunate. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I try to put everything into every job that I have, but sometimes you just don't have the opportunity, you know, and especially. I'm almost 40 and it's it's harder it just is for women of right. my age and just to have the opportunity to play somebody who was complicated and sexual and funny and sad and you all know all those things yeah i right. mean just every script i got there was something where i was like oh fuck <laughs> like some scene where i was like <laughs> shit okay <laughs> which is you. the greatest feeling that was my feeling watching it. Yeah. I, I, was, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, no. Now this hurts so much. Oh, God, so much. It's, it's a bit painful. Yeah. You know, there was a critic um, for IndieWire who wrote a story that was called How to Save Togetherness. And who wrote that? He, I think it was Ben Travers, I think his name. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry if I got your name wrong, sir. <laughs> it was a really thoughtful and smart piece. Um and he just argued, he said, HBO sent the whole season to critics right? at the beginning before they aired anything. And people 
loved it and people raved about it and the critical response was great. So he said, can't they just put the whole season on HBO Go and let people, and then that way they're testing out their streaming platform that they say they want to get people involved in. And also people can watch it like yeah. this. And I think the viewers were, and I, I wanted to retweet it so badly. It was halfway through our season and I was like, Oh my God, he's found the solution. But I was like, I can't like, what if HBO gets annoyed at me? But it was a really smart piece of writing. And I think he was right. Uh, the one thing I thought it handled especially well, and then this is what the second season is about is just infidelity mm. in a way. Like as someone who's a product of divorce a few times over, mm. I thought, wow, this show really understands the nuances of cheating and not immediately ending things yeah. and working and how how painful it is to work through i don't want to get too emotional but like to work through all of that uh all the rubble of all that and mm-hmm. to really I, I don't know and i i guess i was interested like i don't know what your parents were like but you've been married before like how is yes. it how is it acting that is that hard to do it's yeah, I I I loved that as well because it felt very true to life. I've never really without getting too much into what my parents' relationship is like. They're still together, but there have been challenges. Yeah. And I grew How up How long have they been together for? Oh my god. They got together when my mother was 19. Okay. So maybe like 40 yeah. Two years. There's no, there's no relationship that's been around for 42 years. It's like, yo, everything's great. Yeah, everything's gone great, <laughs> you know. And I witnessed, I'm the oldest of five, and so there were a lot of times in my childhood where I was taking care of the kids while my parents dealt with their shit because they were very young people who yeah. tried to build a life together, and things happen, and you forgive it or you don't or you kind of forgive it, but you keep punishing the person, and... It's really, really complicated. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the oldest as well. Oh, you are. Yeah. How, it, of how many? Um, two brothers and then a sister, but they're not all part of the same. I, it's, okay. hard to, it's hard to explain. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but you're the still oldest. the oldest. Yeah, yeah, I'm the oldest. But when do you learn? When did you figure out, like, oh, like I can't be angry anymore? I think it was less um, being angry and more letting go of this idea that I had of what I wanted my parents to be like. What did you want to be like? I wanted stability and I wanted um, consistency. And, you know, like I have friends who like call their mother every day and share everything with them. And, you know, people <laughs> yeah. who are like, Dad, how do I fix this? You know, and I, I think that was where my anger was coming from because I was like, I don't have that, you know, I don't know what that is to not be the responsible one. Mm. And I think when I gave that up and I was like, okay, but look at who they actually are as human beings and all the wonderful things that they are and all the things that I have learned, like the strength that I have and the fact that I can take care of myself, you know, it's it's all stuff that I'm really grateful for and that helped me really let go of any anger that I had because I was like, they're just kids who started having kids and then did the best they could. Yeah. Did you tell your parents that? Yeah. 
Okay. I wouldn't be saying it on a <laughs> podcast if I hadn't <laughs> talked to them about it. Okay, good. Yeah, I really try. And that's the other thing. They're both people who've really worked hard to make amends and, and be the best that they can be. And I think it would be one thing if they were just both assholes who just kept fucking up and being like, deal with it. Yeah, yeah. But they're not, you know, so. They're trying to get better. They're yeah. Try, they're always trying to improve. Yeah, and that's all you can ask of anybody. So you were leading the charge when, as a kid in, in New Zealand. Yeah. What What is, I don't know anything about New Zealand. Like, what is it like to grow up there? What is your life mm. before, before 16 and you get that movie? Like 10 to 15, what are you, what is Melanie doing? I I don't know. I The town I grew up in is quite isolated. It's out on the coast, so it's not really a place that a lot of people travel to. Mm-hmm. Um, Was that okay for you? Yeah, it just sort of gave, I mean, New Zealand already felt very far away, and then New Plymouth within New Zealand is, is further away uh-huh. from New Zealand <laughs> even. So, I mean, the isolation was crazy. Yeah. And I was obsessed with film, and I was obsessed with music, and I would order magazines from the local bookstore. I would go and get, like, Empire magazine and the yeah, NME yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. To we're, find out like what was happening in the world, a world like in the distance from you, though. Yeah, yeah. It just it was so fascinating to me, and you know, I would hear. I had a friend who's I had two brothers in at university, and so she would bring like albums home that they had, yeah. you know, given her, and we'd be like, "Oh my god, Morrissey!" And then you'd have to like <laughs> wait a month. <laughs> I'd order the record and have to wait so long for it. It's just so crazy now. With the internet, everything's like at your fingertips. There, there's every album ever right there that yeah. you can just play. It's it's maddening. Yeah, it's maddening. Were films and music like were you a, were you a lonely teenager? Because for me, like films were the thing that thank God I had. Like I had not that I didn't have friends, but yeah, they came at a very certain time where I needed something else. Yes, from what I was what I was giving. Yeah, I mean, I had friends who are still my friends. Uh, one of my friends since I was 14, I just had lunch with, he's in town from New Zealand. Um, so I had friends, lifelong close, close friends, but I questioned a lot. I was very emotional. There was some upheaval in my home life sometimes. And What were you questioning? Oh, God, the existence and happiness that and early? relationships. Oh, I was very 13? intense. Yeah. Wow. When I was six years old, I became obsessed with, like, nuclear war. What? I became obsessed with it. (laughs) And so my parents found me. This is another wonderful thing about my parents. They supported anything I was interested in. Even the things that were a bit morbid. Yeah. (laughs) Anything. You know, I I was allowed to read any book. I was allowed to watch anything. Um, And there was this, like, comic book. I don't remember what it was called, but it was about this post-apocalyptic life this family and this like this world and i read the whole thing and then i blacked it all out with a sharpie (laughs) afterwards because i was so terrified i was very oh god i must have been a nightmare to deal with is that what they say my parents yeah i kind of yeah. yeah i think i was i think i was very moody and emotional it seemed like you were a pretty serious kid oh yeah i was pretty serious um at a certain point, do you get out of that? I mean, I lightened up a little bit, finally. Like, yeah. What age was that? 
somebody to um, promise things to me. Like I just wanted somebody to be like, you're the greatest person I've ever met. And then I was like, that's all I needed to hear. Like, peace. It was horrible. Yeah, yeah I was a bad person. But, you know, you're it's scaring like, me because I feel like I have a lot, some of that, of those tendencies. Well, and if, now I'm getting like, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, no. Wait, maybe I see that. You're like opening up a, it's like a light bulb moment right now, I think. That's good. <laughs> Is it good? Well, if there's stuff in your childhood where you didn't feel prioritized and you did, you know, you're sort of struggling for. You didn't feel prioritized? Sometimes. I just think, it, I don't think it was possible for mm-hmm. the people who raised me do you think your other siblings got more attention no oh no okay i think my parents relationship gets a lot of attention uh which which makes it hard to focus on other people yeah but they but they did but they're good you know they're really good parents i don't want to no no of course say anything about their parenting but you know every it doesn't matter how wonderful your parents are. You come away with some kind of mm. baggage. And I'm convinced my parents did some things better than other, like mm-hmm. like the best, like better than any other parent. Yeah. And then other things, maybe not good. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's hard, how I feel. It's hard to like balance those two, though. She's like, oh, wow, they did all this. And then there's some parts that are like, they didn't do that well. Yeah. But, so those, those are the things that you have to work on within yourself you know you just have to sort of fill those deficits yourself and be like nobody else is gonna provide me with that well before you got engaged at 21 Mm -hmm. i had already been engaged by the way really oh yeah when was the first time uh i think i was like 17 okay yeah, I was a crazy person that that is that's a lot i've never heard i didn't even know this i didn't yeah um, that was very intense. Not, I'm not condemning you, by the way. Thank you. I don't think I'm you, a lot more careful now. Yeah, you're not getting uh, engaged every. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but you, you, you had to go through that stuff early on. But mm-hmm. this is, I, I guess, what I was. It's funny. I was going to talk about like it almost feels less important now. But like you, you were in a movie at 16. Um, yes, your first film. I what? Oh my God! Yeah. Yeah. What? What's the headspace like of a sixteen-year-old in a movie with Kate Winslet? Well, I was fifteen when I got 15, that movie. Right, right. Um, it came out when you were sixteen. Um, it came out, I think, when I was seventeen. I had my sixteenth birthday near the end of the shoot, so I w- it was technically. Um, I don't know. At that point in your life, it feels like there's such a big difference. I mean. Between 15 and 17, oh, for sure. Yeah, it just Every feels year, so... It's radically different. It's so intense. Um, well, first of all, Peter Jackson showed me her audition tape before my second audition and said, she's a professional actress. She's been acting since she was 12 years old. Um, she's on TV shows. She's pretty well known in England. Um, I'm going to show you her tape, and this is how good you have to be. And showed me a tape of fucking Kate Winslet, which is so intense. <laughs> and I'd never acted professionally, and she was so good. And I just was like, okay, okay. I, I got it. That's the level. All right. I think he just was like, this is for real. He wanted, he wanted to set the bar high. Mm-hmm. And you made it, though. 
I hope so. Well, you're in the movie. I'm in the movie, yeah. So that's something. He gave me the opportunity, which I feel incredibly grateful for. And they had um, this incredible woman, Miranda Harcourt, who is an actor and a director and an acting teacher, and she was there working with me on the audition and helping me become emotional. And um, So they took care of me. It wasn't like throwing me into the Right. That's just a lot to put on a 15-year-old to show. They knew that, yeah. Yeah. But you were, again, but maybe it goes back to like your intensity as a person. I think so. And they thought, yeah, she can handle it. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't really an emotion that I had not felt at that point. I think they realized at a certain point that it it was less about trying to get me to do it imaginatively than just like letting me go there myself because I had the sort of well inside me, I had the resource, uh-huh. and learning how to sort of like bring me back and not just let me go crazy. So that was the thing they really managed really mm-hmm. well. And it's still how I work to this day. I can't like imagine a scenario and pretend that I'm in it. I have to, there has to be something inside me that's being actually worked out. Something in your history. Something in my history, even if it's just a familiarity, even if it's something that I've never explored that I know I need to, you know, uh-huh. anger is really hard for me because I have a hard time getting angry. You don't, so, you don't get angry very often. I mean, now I get angry more because it's healthy, but for a long time it was very hard for me. So you just bottle it inside. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I just would never talk to anybody about it and just be resentful. Yeah, yeah, that's hard. Um, what happens after the film comes out? Do you think, oh, like, I'm, I'm going to be an actress now? or like, what, what? I mean, I always wanted to be an actress. Right. And everybody said, you're crazy. It's not a real job. Right. But that was affirmation that you could do it. Yeah. And I sort of felt like, well, you know, but everyone was very careful. Everybody on the movie said, you know, like, it's wonderful that this happened. Good for you. But don't think that. You're going to now have a career. It's not that Mm -hmm. easy. So please go back to school. Do your thing. They were cautious. They were very cautious. Um, So I did. I went back to high school. I went to university for a year. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, I got an agent, but I was like, I'm not sure if I'm ready. And then I started to come over here and I auditioned. And eventually I was 19 the next job that I did. So it was a few years after. Right. What was the first role that you got? that you thought this, this is this is my job i'm an actress now i don't know i think i always have had that mentality a little bit really yeah i think i've always just sort of been like because it was drummed into me when i started working like this is your type and i just was really careful to try to be challenged as much as i could be mm. what about when you got the role in two and a half men that was like 2003 right yes mm-hmm yeah, that was a weird one. I mean, it was just I was just supposed to do one episode. Yeah. And I was like, that seems like fun. I read it and I just had this weird... Sometimes I read things and I get like literally a voice in my head and I'm like, this is how this person talks. This is who this person is. I need to do it. And that happened. Yeah. What was the voice in your head? It just was this... It just was that character's voice. <laughs> it just like came... It was this very sweet, light, like, 
I don't know. It was weird. It was something where if they had said, okay, can you try it again, but try to be more, I would have just been like, I can't. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> Sorry. It was, it was the, it, I, I don't have much memory of the show outside of that character. It's like the one oh. character that like, I, rem- I remember that. Yeah. The, like, it was unique. Yeah. It was a really interesting character. It was fun. What happened on that show? Like what was going on there? What was going on? There? Yeah, I mean, like, oh. I, I just want to, like, can we, like, can we honestly talk about, like, what, like, I'm just, it just, it seemed like there was madness there. Um, <laughs> you laughed when I asked that. Yeah, I mean, it's a big question. <laughs> I'm sorry, am I putting uh, you on the spot? Uh, I don't know. I think it was a, it's a very high stress environment. Um, there were personality clashes. People firmly believed in what they thought was right. Um, I don't know. It was a, it was complicated. I also was coming and going. You know, I would do some years. I would do two episodes. Some years I would do seven episodes. Mm-hmm. But I was ne- I was never there. I wasn't you doing there all the, the day today. Yeah. Yeah. But it seemed like at a certain point, I mean, things just weren't working out there. Yeah, but I came, I showed up, I got booked for some episodes and I showed up and it was already um, very chaotic. It was chaotic? Yeah, and I just was like, oh, this is, you, something changed did here. You, did you distance yourself from it? No, I could, I was booked, I had to go to work, you know. I just was, the main thing I was feeling was, um, to be honest with you, uh, Charlie, Sheen had been nothing but kind and respectful towards me. He was just a joy to work with. Like as a scene partner, he was so present and so loving and and really, really fun. Maybe the most prepared actor I've ever, like in rehearsal would be off book. And part of that is because he's, dyslexic i don't know if he talks about that but so he felt a responsibility to learn his lines he didn't want to have to be looking at his script um but so prepared so on top of it um we had a lot of physical stuff we had to do because we were always like in this on-off romance on the show and he was always so sweet about it and like is this okay is that okay um so i just loved that man i know he had some complications in his private life but when I met him he had been sober for years and he was sponsoring people and he he did a lot of really beautiful things for um people that I knew and uh just the the depth of caring and the person that he was I just loved him and so that was really my main concern I got there and I just was like I I'm so worried for I hope he's okay. Yeah. It was hard to watch that. Yeah. Because I think he's like a tremendous talent. I've never, obviously, I don't, I don't know him. He's so talented. But he, and so to see that, and what I found most troubling was not even his behavior, which I, you know, like, yeah, he did things and he said things that were, we can agree that like, yeah, yikes. <laughs> yeah. But it was more, um, publications making money yeah off that i had a real problem with that just it, it, that was hard to watch and hard to see the show fall apart yeah it was a very um strange time and more than anything i just wished 
that he had people around him who yeah wanted to take care of him more than they wanted money. Did it not seem like there were people around him when you saw when you knew him? I was worried for him. I mean, I think he has a r- wonderful family. Um, his family just seemed like great, great people. Um, and that's something, but I don't know. It's, it's very, it's a very complicated situation, but I, I just really care about him. And, um, you know, I, I lost touch with him. I guess he accidentally tweeted his phone number to Justin Bieber or something like that. And then, <laughs> so I guess he had to get a new phone and then he never told me what his new phone number was. Cause I would check in occasionally and yeah, just yeah, be yeah. like, how is everything? And, um, it's kind of, that's, that's a tragic way to, <laughs> to lose touch with somebody. <laughs> I know. My friend, he, um, he just tw- he tweeted his number to Justin Bieber. He had, <laughs> he had to change his number. It, it happens sometimes. Yeah. So I haven't been in touch with him for a while, but it's not from distancing myself or, you know. Yeah. The, um, something I wanted to get into with that show, um, and not no, really away from that show, um, we all have, like, beliefs and principles, and it seems, um, I guess I'm interested in, uh, how often do your ideas about like femininity or your principles about who you are and what like a woman should and should not be come into conflict with the roles you are asked to take on? Because that show, I laugh at it, but I've rewatched mm. it recently and its treatment of women is not great. No. It's objectively, it's arguably pretty bad. And your character again, I think, has some nuance to it. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here, like we're talking. Yeah. But like when you watch that, where you're like, "Oh man, that's hard. That's hard to watch." Well, it's very strange. You know, the pilot episode was kind of hard to know where it was going, and I just did it as like a guest actress. And then I had a very positive experience, and it also was a time in my career where I wasn't working a ton I wasn't making money and they said do you want to come on and be a regular and um I was like sure that was a very positive experience to film that and Charlie was an angel and you know and it's it went in a direction that you know at times I was like oh gosh and I know it was all very tongue-in-cheek and a lot of the time they were using Charlie's character to laugh at him more than to laugh at the women. Right. But there were times, you know, where it really, I was like, oh my God. And I talked to my friend Kathy Najimi about it. And I said, oh, I feel weird sometimes on the show that I'm on. And she said, talk to me about your character. And she really helped me find some peace in it because for me, being somebody who was like uh, a larger size than a lot of women on television and playing a love interest to this kind of like womanizing man and not being made fun of and not being like, you know, it, it was a very fine line, but I could find enough sort of peace in the character that I was playing right. and feeling like, 
also from messages I was getting from women who were like feeling very seen and very responsive to me because they could watch the show and they were like, this is somebody who looks like I look. Right. And she's a viable sort of like person. Nobody's saying like, she's a fatty or she's like the best friend. Um, so that aspect of it felt nice to me. But yeah, it's not, you know, there are, there are elements that I don't want to sound like no, ungrateful no. or. But see, and that's the thing that I was, I was thinking about because I was driving over here and I thought, I was thinking about this question. That balance between being principled and working, you want it, you wish like every role was like pro, you know, a woman being in a authoritative position or having any sort of power and not being mm-hmm. treated this way. But I don't know. Like you wouldn't be working that much then because we're in a, it's getting better. I think, I think it's getting better. And I really, um, have, have tried to do my best. And I mean, honestly, the thing about two and a half men, first of all, after two seasons, I asked to leave the show and right, they right. let and me. Yeah. You were just um, a guest character after that. And I was just, yeah. So right. I went back to what it initially was in the pilot. Um, and that was an amazing gift for them to give me. They didn't have to do that at all. But Chuck Laurie, the creator of the show, really believed in what I wanted to do and wanted me to do stuff that felt more fulfilling and wanted right. to support me as an artist. Um, so they let me come and go from the show, which was like a great freedom. And I was able to build a career in independent film because – if I did three episodes of the show, I wasn't rich by any stretch right, of the could imagination. Get by. I could get by. It yeah. was enough to pay the mortgage for the year, like if I did like three or four episodes. Right. And then, you know, I had enough other work where I could make a living. And you're in my house. I don't, it's not extravagant. It's a, it's a, but it's, it's a lovely house. Yeah, but yeah. I feel. I have been making a living as an actor and having that job on two and a half men is something I could return to. Let me build a career and things right. that I felt really proud of. And also every time I went back to two and a half men, I was doing something that was really fun and really funny right, right, right. and playing a woman who was a crazy genius <laughs> and was like a self-made billionaire and all this weird stuff. It was crazy. Yeah. I didn't so see that. I, I didn't, I stopped watching. I don't know. I didn't see the last few seasons, so I don't know um, yeah. what happens with the character, but, um, well, I, I moved in with Ashton Kutcher. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're genuinely like, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm pleasantly surprised. I was surprised too. I was, surprised. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess that's the end of Row. It's not. What? Ashton Kutcher? Come on. Is he just not your type? Um, I think he's anybody's type. I don't know. I know some people are just like, yeah. He's very, I, I shouldn't say anything. My boyfriend will be like, you you love him. I don't, I doubt your boyfriend's going to think you're in love with Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> he know. My boyfriend knows I'm only in love with him. He's oh, the greatest. That's good. But, um. Congrats, by the way, in being in love. Thank you. It's so nice. That's good. It's really good. <laughs> it's good. It's very, it's a good relationship. Um. So you moved back in with Ashton Kutcher? Yeah, Kutcher, I moved in with Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I was surprised. Yeah. I was more surprised because I was like, you know, he's a lot younger than Charlie is, and the sort of role of Hollywood is the love interests have to be like 10 years younger than the dude. Mm-hmm. But they were like, no. great. 
We like Rose. But I was still a crazy person. And it was only, you know, I think we moved in for two episodes or something. And then he was like, she's nuts. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the end justifies the means in this case. We're like, you, you did it. You're mm-hmm. glad you did it because it allowed you to pave your way. Yeah. Which you did. You did so many, so many weird, weird. Do we even start with that? Like what of, of from like 2005 when you leave the show mm-hmm. um, to like 2008, what, what, what are those roles that I have to look at my IMDb? I know, me too. Oh, really? Um, Are you in a Swanberg movie yet? Not yet. Okay, that's later on. I did on. that in the Happy 2012. Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I honestly, I was just kind of trying. Do you want to go to the magical year? Sure. <laughs> I, I did a couple of th- I did a movie called Shattered Glass that I oh, loved. Oh, yeah, about the journalist. Um, yep, and I did a Clint Eastwood movie. Which one um, was that? Flags of Our Fathers. Oh, and that was really a very beautiful, wonderful experience. And it was those two films. I did some other things that I wasn't 100% in love with just because they got offered to me and I was in a panic because I'd just left my TV show and I was like, I should work. I, yes, yeah, yes, yes, I'll do your movie. And then yes. I saw the movies and I was like, why? What, what movies were those? I'm not going to name them. Okay. But, you know, there was like a little period of time where there were a couple of things where I was like, I don't like the feeling that I have mm. watching this. Right. I didn't like the feeling I had when I was making it. But Shattered Glass and Flags of Our Fathers, I was like, you can stand okay, behind those, yeah. I want to feel, that's how I, especially Shattered Glass. When I was at the premiere of that movie, I was watching it and I was like, this is the only way I want to feel at a premiere of something that I'm in. I'm completely so proud, proud of it. Completely proud. Just like watching it like, I cannot believe I'm in this movie. That you contributed to something. Yeah. That you're proud of. And I just think is so great. And then you have, what, I'm, what am I <laughs> The called? magical year. I'm going to keep calling it that. I'm honestly, I'm thinking of that book, The Year of Magical Thinking. And I just keep... Have you read that book? I, I just... I, wait, it's on here. It's in my car. I just bought Play It As It Lays. Oh, I just bought that recently. Really? Yeah, I was like, how have I never read this? Well, because I'm moving here. Oh, and I, yeah. And it's a Hollywood story, and I was like, yeah, I should read this. And I, yeah. I've, I've heard great things. I've only read like short stories by Joan Didion. Oh. And so... If I, you read The Year of Magical Thinking, I'm going to cry just thinking about what, what, <laughs> what? What? Oh, God. It's so intense. You, you can cry. People have cried on the show. I've cried. I think the most. Out of all the people. I love it. <laughs> um... What happens in this book that you're so... Oh, it's about her husband's death and her daughter's illness and just, um, it's so gorgeous. It's one of my favorite books I've ever read. Mm. Yeah, you have to read it anyway. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you have a magical year. Yes. Oh, it, yeah. Let's call it that. Uh, mm-hmm. 2009. Just for me, watching those movies, all three of those movies, uh, The Informant, mm-hmm. which I just rewatched. Last week. Oh, yeah. Because um, I had to write about, I had to rank every Matt Damon movie ever for an article. Oh, my God. So I was like. What was number one? The informant. Oh, it was? Yeah, yeah, <gasps> it was. He's uh, so good in that. He is so good in that. Yeah, it's crazy. He's, he, um, I don't want to like quote myself in the article, but I mm. think he's like weirdly underrated. Mm-hmm. Like everyone knows he's great, but I think we take it. It's like water. Yeah. It's like we take it for granted. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and he's just so good. And that movie especially, he's great. And you're good too. Thank you. That's <laughs> no. very sweet. Um, but you so, oh, okay, you have The Informant. Mm-hmm. You have Leaves of Grass. Oh, yeah. Such an underrated movie. People Aww. do not see that. 
and I, yeah, like twenty fifth hour. I'm, I love Ed Norton. And, oh um, God, he's such a genius. Yeah, he he is. And like the nicest. Okay, is he? Yes. Why do I always hear that he's such a pain in the ass to work with? You've heard that rumor before, yeah. He's he's very exacting and very precise. So, but, yeah, I can see that. But I did a movie with him with a director who was very similar, and and wanted that. Right. So I think they got along great. Um. So it wasn't a difficult environment. And then just as a human being, he's one of the most generous, like he's so fun and so funny mm. and just like, just a beautiful person. Mm. I really, really like him so much. So you have Up in the Air, mm-hmm. Informant, Leaves of Grass, mm-hmm. all in 2009. Did Leaves of Grass come out in 2009? Well, I think that's what it says on IMDb, but it maybe have came out in 2010. I think there was some delay in that. Oh one. yeah, maybe. But and I did Away We Go at that time as yeah, well. Yeah, that was 2008, I think, yeah. Yeah. So that's like... I did, well, I did The Informant. I had one day to travel from The Informant to the set of Away We Go. Like, they just worked it out so I could do both. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. That's that's a good stretch right there. Like, yeah. not That's not good. It's great. It's it, was am- a real, it was a good time, in yeah. The, in the moment where you're like, wow, I keep... These are all... Jason Reitman, really? Steven Soderbergh, really? Mm-hmm. And then, and then you had to like win, win the year out. I can't even forget about that movie. That movie's also really good. Yeah, that's like I love a, it. that's a stretch where did you feel, did you, were you surprised by how great all these movies were? Or you're like, yes. no, I deserve this. I was very surprised. I mean, first of all, since I saw Sex Lies and Videotape when I was a teenager, I can't remember how old I was when I saw it for the first time. I was, awestruck by it i just was like this is one of the greatest things i've ever seen um and it was my dream to do a steven soderbergh movie just like my dream every time i had like a list of like who would you want to work with he was at the top top, of it right so that was was it everything you thought it would be and and more like beyond what what was can you give me like what happened on set do you remember like a certain memory you have you're like oh my god this guy this guy is a genius I, God, so many. Um, every choice that he made, it just was always the smartest choice that was the most fun. It, w- I, I don't even know how to explain it. You'd walk into the room and he'd be like, "I kind of saw it happening here, but if you don't, <laughs> if you don't think." That's how it would go, um, we'll go somewhere else or like there's other rooms. Like, what do you think? And you just kind of play around, but you felt so held. There was never that thing of like, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Like, <laughs> he has such a vision and it's so clear. And any weird thing that I did, like sometimes I would try a weird thing and sometimes people would be like, you know, in other movies, you'd try like your weirdest take and people would be like, Okay, so let's do it again yeah, and maybe, maybe don't. <laughs> yeah, and he would be like, yeah, yeah, that yeah, thing. I like that. That thing is... Let's do that again. Yeah. <laughs> and he just... It's just easy and you just feel like you're collaborating. There's not a lot of ego stroking going on. He's not trying to make you feel like you're the greatest. Mm. It's, it just was a dream. I I could have done <laughs> that movie for... The next three years. The rest years. of your life. Yeah, yeah, the rest of my life. You could just be on the set of The Informant. Yep. <laughs> Happily. That's nice. And just all these great comedians coming in and doing these oh, little so parts. Many people. There's yeah. so many people in that movie. It's a, it was a dream. And they just dream. show up. They just like, 
Yeah. All right, they hear it for seven seconds. Now they're funny. And then they yeah, them. exactly. Time to go back to their lives. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll do it. Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. I love that when, especially for some directors, when they get to the point where people are just like, yeah, I'll do it for the bare minimum that I'm legally allowed to do it. Like, Yeah. I'll, I'll be there. I would do anything. Anything you said? Anything. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. Him saying he wasn't, he's not going to make movies anymore. Like yeah, one I don't buy that, and he's not now. Like he has he has something coming out. Well, he's doing a lot of television. Yeah, he's doing he does the Nick and all that. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, put me on your TV show. Yeah. Did you call him up and be like, hey? Yeah, I'm totally like just calling him up and be like, hey, hey, Steve. Um, (laughs) it's me. It's me, Melanie. (laughs) One of the supporting actors from The Informant. Anyway. I did a thing a while ago. I have this friend, uh, Nathaniel, who has a website called The Film Experience, which is a really yeah, wonderful... Yeah. yeah. So I did this like guest blogging for a couple of days for him, and I asked people if they would write like a love letter to something that they loved. Huh. So I just wrote to actors I'd worked with and people that I knew and just really reached out to everybody, and I got a lot of really wonderful responses, and it was beautiful, but I wrote to Stephen... And he just wrote back to me and said, I love how you're trying to make me your assistant. <laughs> and I was like, what? All right. <laughs> Wait, what? He's just so like sardonic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he just was like, oh, that's real funny. Anyway, <laughs> nice to hear from you. <laughs> I was like, okay. But oh, so he... what about uh, Up in the Air? Oh, that was another great. God, it was just a really good time. Time, yeah. It was a really good time, and I worked with Sam Mendes, and yeah, oh, he's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that was a real, that was a good, that was a good God, run. That's that's, I, uh, but that's not. You have more. You have more ahead of you. Oh, thank you. No, I'm I'm not like I know. Those well, I know. Were the I feel days. Like we're talking about it like this. <laughs> oh, this is the best, and well, it's, <laughs> it's only downhill from career <laughs> retrospective. We're like I've come to interview for the podcast, which is like you at no the long, end of your career. You no longer currently work. Sorry, uh, <laughs> you just talk about the stuff you used to do. <laughs> I, I mean, my you know my show, my beloved show, got cancelled, and here we are. <laughs> we did start the conversation that way. Oh, I know. It's like all about like talk about these things that have passed. Um, <laughs> these happy times, these great moments. Wait, we're having an optimistic conversation <laughs> yeah. here, Melanie. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm worried that I made Steven Soderbergh sound like an asshole. It yeah. was a really funny joke. We'll include all. I don't of this. think I told it properly. I, it, it's funny. He's maybe it's, the funniest person you, I've ever met. Things can be assholeish and funny. It can be. That's his great gift. I think. That's that's he's good. He's like a hilarious I, I, asshole. I've heard that from someone who's a friend of his. That, yeah, that he's like that. He's the, he's like one of the, my favorite people ever. Yeah. Um, so what happened after that stretch? Did you regard just it? Cried. The, okay. Cried and said it's all over. No, yeah, well, I I'm knew joking. that. I knew that. But yeah. keep, keep <laughs> I honestly, I had such an amazing. I did. Um, I did the informant, and I did uh, away we go, and I did up in the air in a in a stretch like that, and then. It just felt so wonderful, and everything I read after that, I just was like, I don't... It's not this. It's not... It's not Soderbergh. Yeah, I had this great run. Not Tom McCarthy. Oh, my boyfriend and my ex-husband are texting me. At the same time? Yes, but... You want to respond? Probably not about the same thing. Um, It's all right. I I can go to the restroom. Do you want to go to the restroom? I mean, I like could do it out of like being polite. Oh no, don't worry. There's no urgency. And I, like, I, 
Maybe I have to go. I don't know. It's okay. It's like an in-between. It's all right. <laughs> if you need to go to the restroom, you can go to the restroom. But um, I'm, they're both fine. Okay. I'm sure. They would be calling if there was a problem. If there was something urgent. I like how I'm like they, like I'm in some weird like. <laughs> <laughs> it's the three of us here. Yes, the three of us the, the, the in actual... our life together. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's good that you're still in contact with. Yeah, we're your, good. Yeah, good, you're on good terms? Yeah, great. Wow, that's nice. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, I don't understand that. That's, I know. I don't know. I'm not familiar. Well, my dad and my mom are like, they broke up when I was one. Oh my gosh. So it's okay. like, I don't, I don't know them together. Like, it's funny. I they, knew that because I heard you say that in the Wesley Morris episode. You listened to it? Yeah. You heard the show before? Yeah. I mean, I listened to the Wesley Morris one, but I wanted to listen to more because it was fucking great. And I was oh. like, oh, I love this. This is, this is so nice. I'm glad you liked no, it. Well, I'm not going to. I wanted to know. What you're getting what, yourself into? What you were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I want to listen to more. I need to listen to the Amy Nicholson one. There's like so many I wanted to listen to. Oh, thanks. Um, but yes, I did know that I about said, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's weird because um, when I ask them, they talk they tell me about what it was like being together. Yeah. Um, it's so foreign. It feels so strange. It feels like they're scripted characters in a movie or something. Like, because I can't, I can't even imagine it. And the yeah. way they describe themselves are they're so radically different now. Um, and what was my point with this? Why am I saying this? We were talking about something. Oh, because you're, oh. Ex- you're ta- oh yeah, because so, he so, was texting me. Um, yeah, it's I, but it's nice that they're like still friendly. But I've also seen mm. the other side where they're like, nope, we're not talking anymore. Oh, and we're gonna, you can talk to my attorney type type thing. After a long relationship, not for me. Oh no, but I mean, like my the par- my parents, the parent, your parents, well, did, my, were my, they in long relationships yeah, yeah. when that happened? Yeah, <gasps> so painful. Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't that. Is it painful for me? I don't know. I mean, it's just strange. It's yeah. strange. But I, it's, I, I don't know. I couldn't do that. Well, cause is that because you're just like, is there a goodness to you that you're like, I just couldn't do that? Well, I just think you love, you're, you're with someone for so many years because you love them. Right. And it doesn't just dissipate. I don't know. Somebody in my group therapy last night was saying like, how did you do that? How'd you do what? Like, have a maintain a relationship with yeah. my ex husband that's very caring and um, connected without being like creepy. Right. I also think a lot of it has to do with my boyfriend and how like awesome he is. He's not threatened or weird or, mm-hmm. you know. Except by Ashen Kutcher. <laughs> He's not threatened. I'm sorry. I was I just had to, joking. I had, make, I had to make that joke. I went on a talk show once and I said that his armpits smelled nice or something. And my boyfriend was like, oh, really? <laughs> I was like, oh, God. Um, group therapy. Mm-hmm. What's that? Um, well, there are a certain number of people. It's different for every group. And it's run by a therapist. Um, in this case, it's my therapist who I see individually. Oh, so you do both? Yeah. Okay. And you just sort of talk about what's going on in your life and you, you, the point of it is to kind of break down social protocol. So you say things to each other that you wouldn't ordinarily say because you're too polite. Oh. Yeah. So you call each other out on your bullshit or the ways in which you connect with somebody that are not serving you. It's been really helpful. Yeah, that seems amazing. It's great. It, is that is it scary? Yeah. It seems scary. It's so scary. 
It's so scary when people call you out on your stuff. It's so scary to have to say, like, I'm not connecting with you because this thing you're doing is off-putting. I mean... What are people calling you out on? I don't know if I should talk about it because it's, like, so... supposed to be so private. Okay, that's not... But, um... But it's helpful. It's very helpful, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's helped me have more of a voice, for sure. That's important. Yeah. Did you feel like for a long time you didn't have a voice? Yeah, I mean, I second-guessed myself, and I wasn't sure if it was okay for me to say how I was feeling, and... What do you mean it was okay? I, you know, I just always felt there was a certain amount of, like, going along to get along that I did, and, um, I, I don't know. It's, it's just been good for me to know that my feelings are as valid as anybody else's. Mm. What age did you find the voice? I mean, it was a slow process. Yeah. It happened very gradually. Yeah. But the last couple of years, I felt the most like myself, I mm. guess. Did you ever find that you were putting, like, instead of figuring out your voice or who you were, that you would just invest yourself in the characters you were playing? Um, and put, like, the emotional stock into those characters in that role? It's not really possible for me to do that without my own stuff being worked out somewhat. Mm. So acting is therapy? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. there's. I have to have a certain amount of self-awareness. But, um... It's been easier for me to explore certain things in the last few years. I've been able to access things emotionally that used to be harder. Mm. I've I've had an easier time being unlikable, unlikable in quotation marks in in characters. You had an easier time being unlikable. And in, in the last few years. And now it's just Oh, no, no, now you now, can't. Yeah, now I can. I'm like, I don't give a shit if you think she's <laughs> nice or whatever. She's yeah. going through a hard time. That's it's the, fine. Is that the sign of like, oh, I don't have to be nice? Yeah. That's like that's a hard thing to learn. Yeah. It's a hard thing to figure out where you're like, oh, you know what? Being agreeable doesn't always work for me. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, it works in the immediate to where I get out of this interaction Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't. But it doesn't work when I'm alone at like two in the morning, really upset about something. Yeah, because it doesn't end whatever's going on. Right. It's still living within you, and you're you know stewing in it later or mm. whatever. If you could tell yourself at sixteen something now, what would it be? I think it would be you're fine. Just you're fine. You're fine. Like stop it. Yeah. Stop looking for the person who's going to prove to you that you're wonderful or trying to make your body look a particular way. And, you know, I had this idea, like, if I ever weigh this much, then I'm going to be happy. Really? Yeah, I had a lot of eating issues, a lot of issues around relationships and trying to find my happiness from external things. Um. I weirdly, I never had a thing with my work where I was like, if I get to this level of success, I'll right. be, because my work has always been too personal to me, I think. I've always needed it for different reasons. Um, but yeah, I just, I wish I had not wasted so much time trying to get other people to make me happy. Right. And you're fine. 
Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, it's totally a good, fine. That's a good place to be. All right. Okay. <laughs> Uh, thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Is, uh, I feel like we jumped around a lot. Is that okay? Yeah. It's okay. okay. All right. I, I had a good time. Oh, good. Me too. <laughs> okay. Good. A few people to thank this week. First, Kate Erblin, a good friend of the show who also thought it would be a great idea to have Melanie on. Also, a big thanks to Rhonda Price and Leanna Diamond for coordinating and making this episode possible. You can watch Melanie in the Intervention, which will be available in theaters and on demand this Friday, August 26th. Other titles with her, like Happy Christmas, Seeking a Friend at the End of the World, and Goodbye to All That, are currently available to stream on Netflix. And lastly, a warm thanks to Melanie for taking the time to talk. This episode of Talk Easy, like every other episode thus far, is brought to you by us, not a company. Not a podcast distribution arm, not a larger media outlet, but us. Us being the half dozen or so people who work on the show each and every week. That's why it's important that if you've enjoyed this episode or any other previous episodes, it would mean the world to everyone here if you wrote a review on iTunes. Your review, no matter how short or long it is, is the best way for us to reach new listeners. If you're so inclined, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting app. If you want to drop us a line about anything, feel free to do so at talkeasypod at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at talkeasypod. As always, our theme music is provided by Vanilla. Our executive producer is David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Illustrations by Krishna. Social media by Maria Mayella. The show is produced and edited by Corey Atad. I'm your host, Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you next week. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. You know, I love music, but I haven't picked up an instrument in years. You know why? I tell myself, I don't have time. Where am I going to find a teacher? Well, there's an answer. Musora. Musora is the place where you can learn essential skills and techniques with more than a hundred of the world's best teachers and musicians and thousands of famous songs. You get seven days totally free to try it out, and then it's just $30 per month, less than a single private lesson. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. 
Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. 